So Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again, with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, uh, my name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at church. It's great to see so many people here on this long weekend with the, with the hour less in bed. Also, it's great to see some friends from Newcastle. We visited, visited a church in Newcastle, and it's great to have you guys uh, with us returning the visit. Um, we are today looking at, we've been looking at heaven for the last two weeks, and uh, today is uh, week two of our two-week mini-series. So if you missed the first uh, talk then get it, download it, and it will help you make sense of today. Why don't I pray before we get stuck into this passage? Our Father, we do praise you that you're a speaking God, that you don't leave us in the dark, that you, don't, uh, you are not silent to us like the false gods of this world. Father, we do pray that we might hear your voice this morning, that you might speak to us, that you might change us and make us into the likeness of your Son. Amen. Well, this is uh, Felix Baumgartner. Anyone seen him? He's the, uh, the crazy Red Bull space jump guy. Um, he, as he, he got into this capsule, went to the edge of the Earth's atmosphere and um, skydived down to Earth. Um, as he stood at the edge of the Earth's atmosphere, he said this, sometimes you have to go up really high to see how really small you are. And then he jumped off out of his capsule and said, I'm going home, and he jumped down to earth. I guess that's one way to get some perspective on things, isn't it? Um, Our goal of uh, this mini-series, this two-week mini-series, as we look at heaven, is to get some perspective on it all. Last week, we looked at heaven, the place, 
And we saw how amazing God's new creation uh, will be. We, did, we uh, heard that heaven is not the best term, uh, but the new creation is a, a good way of looking at the final destination, a place that is awesome and perfect where God will wipe away every tear from every eye of everyone who trusts in Jesus. He will fix this broken world and make the pain that we see and feel no more. It is awesome and it is perfect. And this week, uh, we look at what it means to live in light of eternity. It's a massive subject, isn't it? Um, Perhaps I should have thought a bit more about it as I chose it. We could preach every week for the next year and still not uh, discover all that the Bible says about what it means to live in light of eternity. So today we're just going to look at this uh, small passage in Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Uh, but before we do that, I want um, to help us get some perspective. I want to share this old youth group uh, sermon illustration. It's not original. You'd see it on YouTube. You might have seen it in youth group. Um, but what it needs is a bit of rope or a, an extension cable like this. And I'll just do this. I was going to have a helper. Johnny was going to help me. There. Anyway, I'm going to run up here. Now imagine this cable goes on forever. I couldn't afford that one in Bunnings. But imagine this cable goes on forever. And if we had a a child, we could run around the building with it. And imagine this cable represents your existence, represents eternity. And now imagine that this little plug, this end bit, represents your time on earth. Gives you some perspective of eternity, doesn't it? Now, I don't need to tell you that We so struggle to have uh, an eternal perspective, don't we? We so easily uh, get caught up in the everyday. They don't need to tell me how difficult it is to think about eternity and and to to think, uh, just get caught up in this little bit about our lives and forget about eternity. To quote Russell Crowe, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. And the Bible says... The way that we respond to Jesus in this life echoes in eternity. If Jesus is our Lord, then eternity in the new creation is open before us. If we, uh, keep, Je- if we keep God as our enemy and Jesus as a stranger, then the Bible has some very harsh warnings and says that uh, we will face eternity in hell. And it uh, doesn't get more serious than that in the Bible. But we, uh, even those who are destined for the new creation, we work for this life. We work for the plug, don't we? We make plans for the plug. We do everything about, uh, everything uh, to give ourselves comfort and security in the plug. We work hard for uh, all but the last 15, 20 years of our life so that we can go off in one of those mobile homes and travel around Australia in a security, in, in security and comfort. We find it really hard, even Christians, to have an eternal perspective, to think about the cable rather than the plug. Uh, the great preacher Jonathan Edwards said, oh God, etern- um, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. It'd be good, wouldn't it, if we could stamp eternity on our eyeballs. We need that because we need to see our tomorrows through the rest of forever. Uh, we need to see our suffering through the rest of forever. We need to make decisions 
through the rest of forever. We need to keep trusting because the rest of forever matters. Will you end up in the new creation or will you be on a pathway to hell? Well, if you've closed your Bibles, uh, let's turn back, to, um, t- turn back to Philippians 3 with me. And uh, we heard read and we heard in the kids' talk that Paul calls Christians citizens of heaven. And to live in light of eternity, we need to live now as citizens of heaven, to act like a citizen, to think like a citizen of heaven, to see the world as a citizen of heaven should see it. And I've just got uh, three simple points to help give us some perspective and help us see the world and see our lives uh, as citizens of heaven should do it, should see it. I'm not going to tell you the do's and don'ts and all these and that's that we so often like. I'm hoping to give us a framework so that we can think and see like citizens of heaven. So three simple points from Philippians 3, 12 to 21. So first point this morning, uh, we're not there yet. Verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul, in the letter, just a bit of background, Paul has been having some trouble with people who think they've already arrived, Christians who already think they're perfect, who are just uh, sitting back waiting for the goal. And Paul says, you have not arrived. He says, no, we've not reached the goal yet. We're not in the new creation yet. There's some confusion about it back in his day. He says, a day is coming, and that's in verse 21. He says, a day is coming when he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. That's Jesus' glorious body. It's the day which we saw last week when this world, as we know it, will be renewed. And Paul says to them, you're not there yet. We're not there yet. That's pretty helpful, isn't it, as we live as citizens of heaven today. It's helpful to set our expectations Uh, There is a real danger that we uh, think that we live in the Lego movie and everything is awesome. We do live in Sydney, don't we? And it is so good. And Australia is so good. There are uh, many false teachers in our city that will tell us uh, that we live in the new creation now. That uh, the blessings that we're promised in the new creation, expect them all now. But Paul says, no, we're still waiting for a day when our bodies and when our world will be transformed. Back in Romans, Paul says that this creation, this world, is groaning in anticipation for the new creation day. He says our our bodies and our souls are groaning to live uh, in eternity, in this whole new perfect world. That explains, doesn't it, some of the frustrations Uh, that we feel in wanting a better life, in wanting more, in wanting peace and security. It also explains uh, the folly of focusing on the day-to-day and not having an eternal perspective. Paul says, the future is the future, and we're not there yet. That's encouraging to have that perspective, isn't it? Because we can have set ourselves too high expectations and... Uh, we can also see our problems as if they're eternal and that this is all there is. But God says, no, your body, if you're Jesus and if you are in this world, then your 
body will yearn for the new creation. Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity in our hearts and this world will never satisfy. This world will always hurt. And we're to long and look forward to the new creation. It's also helpful, isn't it, as we look at this broken world, as we uh, live with the hurt every day, it's helpful to know that we can look forward to a world where there'll be no refugees on the TV screen, there'll be no, sh- no more shop policemen on the, n- on the news. We long for that day and we live for that day, but it's important to know that we're not there yet. It's also encouraging to, uh, as we look at ourselves, did you see uh, back in verse 12, he says that it's not only uh, the goal of the new creation that he hasn't reached, it's, he says, not that I've already reached the goal, or am I already fully mature? See, as we head towards the new creation, the Christian, Paul says, is being matured, is being matured to perfection like Christ. Uh, back in my advertising days, I once uh, drank a glass of, sh- of uh, Petrus wine. Apparently, that's a very expensive wine. It, it tasted amazing, or uh, so the guy told me who knew about wine. It tasted amazing. Uh, it was apparently uh, worth £2,000 a bottle. It was made in 1990. Now, that is old, if you ask me. Uh, but it was apparently matured to perfection, this beautiful glass of wine. We were doing a photo shoot at 8 a.m. It was ridiculous drinking this wine then. And, uh, but uh, what Paul is telling us is that we are not fully mature now, that God will keep maturing us. He, uh, as he uh, won us in Christ, he is performing in every Christian by his spirit a work of maturity, a maturing process. And one day in the new creation, we will be fully mature. We will be perfect replicas of the perfect Lord Jesus. That uh, helps us, doesn't it? When we, uh, helps us when we interact with other people that we are not like Christ yet. So we shouldn't have too high expectations but we will be like uh, Christ one day. It helps us with our frustrations that we feel with ourselves as we fall into that sin time and time again, or the frustrations that we feel with the lot that God has given us. It also means that we can't retire as a Christian, doesn't it? We can't sit back and think, ah, oh, I've made it. Now I just need to wait for heaven. I've done my hard yards at university. Now I can sit back and let everyone else do the hard work. I heard uh, from a Christian friend recently, he became a Christian in his teens. He was the president of the university CU, and in his 20s, he was on fire for Jesus. He used to bring people along. He wanted his friends to become Christians and enjoy eternity and know Jesus. He saw lots of people saved, but um, as we talked over email, it became clear that the only thing he was passionate about now Uh, was renovating his home and taking care of his business. See, he'd retired from this maturing process that God God says is happening to us as we head towards the new creation. He still goes to church. If you asked him, he would say uh, he is a Christian. Uh, He will stand with uh, the keen Christians talking about his days in the University Christian Union. But he's hung up his boots He's done the hard yards in his 20, and he's living as if he's arrived in the new creation, and he is perfect like Jesus. 
friends, uh, Jesus is, to him, is nothing more than a hobby now. And there is a real danger for us in that, especially for those of us who have been a Christian for some time. It's easy to think we've done our hard yards at university. Now we can sit back and let everyone else do the hard work. Well, makes it quite clear we've not arrived. God is maturing us till the very end. And he's put us on a maturing process to the new creation for eternity. Now, that won't be plain sailing, but it will be worth it. And that's the second point this morning, that it will, that heaven is worth it. Have a look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. That's what he's talking about uh, before. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize. Uh, The language he uses is the image of the athlete pursuing the prize. The athlete who doesn't look back, who just heads towards the prize, uh, running with nothing more important in life than the prize. And Paul says he makes every effort to gain the goal, to kick the goal, to, to obtain the prize. What a prize it is. We looked at it last week, a whole new world where there is no more crying, no more pain or suffering. Paul says that's worth it. It's worth pursuing. It's worth striving for. We need to have that prize in mind. We can easily uh, get our heads out of our Bibles and take our eyes off the prize. But we need to know what the prize is like and just how good it is. Uh, This life will be tough and the temptation will be great just to get sucked, up, sucked into our tomorrows. See, when we've got our eyes uh, kept on the prize, then all the other decisions that we need to make about our life, where to live, who to work for, uh, what, what we're going to do tomorrow, uh, they all sort themselves out because our eyes are on the prize. And it's a lot easier, isn't it, to, to do things if there is a prize. Um, I lost a tiny little black screw about two weeks ago on the floor in our house, and I couldn't find it. I didn't spend long looking for it. Uh, but I turned to the boys, the older boys, and said, there's $2 in it if you can find the screw. And I don't know, there was no chance of them finding it, a black screw on a dark floor. Anyway, about 10 days later, Dexter, number two son, there's Dexter. <laughs> Dexter came running up to me at, the desk, at my desk and said, $2, please, Daddy, and handed me the black screw. And he must have searched high and low, his eyes fixed on the prize of $2. Uh, He he did the impossible. And so too, as we fix our eyes on the prize of the new creation, uh, we will do what is humanly impossible, to live a life trusting in Jesus for eternity. You see, when we have our eyes fixed on the prize, eternity isn't just something in the future. It's something that starts now. Our eternal eyes, eternity uh, stamped on our eyes, will transform the way we see the world. Uh, See, it transforms the scary things, doesn't it? When we've got um, eternity, uh, when we've got eternal eyes on, it transforms the big scary things and it makes them less significant and less scary. When we've got eternal eyes, it also makes the mundane things uh, much more important than the world sees them. So, you know, it transforms the, uh, the, the nappy change by the sleep-deprived 
parent. We've been doing a few of those lately. It transforms it from this mundane activity to an eternal activity, an opportunity to share Jesus uh, with your child. It transforms being told to work late for the, the 20th day in a row uh, from being something you don't want to do to an opportunity to share Jesus with your colleague, something that it's, that's eternal and something that's lo- that, that lasts. Uh, my wife came off and uh, feels as she uh, uh, spends her days uh, with our kids, she often feels uh, Sydney friends looking down at her saying, why aren't you at work? But what she does is eternal. It's not mundane because of the prize set before for her of eternity with Jesus. You see, citizens of heaven will f- look at the world and, s- and see things and do work which lasts Because you take away heaven and you take away the prize. And you live for this world. And that is a depressing way to live. Just look at verse 18 and 19. There's a bunch of people who are living uh, like that without the prize. Uh, Paul says, For I have often told you, uh, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Paul's talking about a a group of Christians who have forgotten how good the prize is. Uh, What's their prize? That God is their stomach. He's not talking about foodies who like to go to Aria. He's talking about people who live for things that will be flushed down the toilet. See, God will one day transform this world. Uh, Much of what we see will be no more. God will start again and, and will destroy all that is not his. He will transform all that is wrong with the world. And Paul says, don't live for what will not last. Paul says, live for what will last. He says, imitate me, a citizen of heaven. And we need to think of, see our world through eyes, with the eyes of a citizen of heaven. See this, as we see ourselves as citizens of heaven, the Bible puts to us a question. It says, uh, as we, uh, will you, it puts to us a question. It says, as you live your days, will you live as a citizen of Australia? Or will you live as a citizen of heaven? Will you live with the hope of eternity, knowing that what we see and what we feel is uh, not all that there is? Or will we, will we face our decisions about where we live, uh, what job we will do, what we do with our time? Will we face those decisions as a citizen of Australia or a citizen of heaven? Will we satisfy our bellies as a citizen of Australia? Or will we have an eternal perspective as a citizen of heaven, invested in the prize? And that will be tough, won't it? You will know that it is tough making decisions for Jesus. Uh, People's reactions will will make things tough. Uh, The pressures of the world and finances will make decisions as citizens of heaven tough. But Jesus is worth it. He is worth the end goal. And that's our final point this morning, that Jesus is everything if you're a citizen of heaven. Uh, Verse 14, uh, Paul says, I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call. Where is that call? In Christ Jesus. 
You see, the call to eternity comes to us from Jesus. Uh, We heard in our first reading in Daniel chapter 7 that Jesus' kingdom is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus calls Muppets like us who are concerned about the plug rather than the cable. He calls us and says, come and enjoy eternity with me in my perfect kingdom. Paul says, "From we also eagerly await a saviour, the Lord Jesus, from heaven. One day Jesus uh, will come down and he will take his people to the new creation and it will be a wonderful day. And when we think like that, we see just how precious Jesus is. He is everything. He is all. The, the world thinks he's a, a weirdo fascist with a beard and a nighty. But he is precious. Because one day he will come and he will take us to our new creation. He has given us everything. He has made us number one when we deserve to be bottom of the pile. And to live as citizens of heaven with an eternal perspective is to put Jesus number one. See, we can't retire from the Christian life and we can't make Jesus our hobby because if he is Lord and Savior, if he's the sovereign Savior, he makes a terrible hobby. He will just give you a daggy wardrobe and he will make you do weird things on a Sunday if he's your hobby. But if he's your Savior, he will transform your now as he promises to give you eternity forever in his perfect new creation. Uh, Paul says we are to put on the Lord Jesus and make no plans to satisfy the earthly, our earthly desires. To live is Christ, to die is gain, and there is no better way to live than in Christ, living for eternity. Let's pray now. Our Father, we do praise you again for what you have given to us in Christ. We praise you that you have taken us uh, as your enemies, as uh, fools which knew no better, and you have made us sons. You have made us heirs, and you have given us eternity. Father, help us to have an eternal perspective, to see the final destination, and to know how good it is. Help us, Lord, to invest in what will last and not not what will be washed away. And help us, Lord, to, to, to make Jesus precious, to hold him number one. And so, Lord, would we live as citizens of heaven with all the joy and security and hope that that brings. Amen.